And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, with a look at Joel chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we'll see that the priest of Joel's day prayed based on God's covenants. This shows us that we should pray based on Scripture. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. The Lord also wanted his priests to weep personally as they approached God for the people. Their role was to approach God on behalf of the people. And they were told by Joel that they were to weep as they approached God on behalf of the people. And specifically, they were told to weep between the porch and the altar. In the temple complex, there was a court. And you entered that court before you encountered the bronze altar. And the priests were told when they entered the temple's porch or the temple's court, before they got to the bronze altar, which, by the way, was the altar of burnt sacrifices for sin, that they were to start crying. They were to start crying for their own personal sins, and they were to start crying for the national sins. And they were to weep as a picture of the blatant need for repentance in the nation. They were to do it early in entering the temple complex. As they moved from the most outward part of the complex, the porch or the court, to the very first instrument of cleansing in the national conscience, the altar of burnt offering, they were to start crying. Not putting on tears, of course, but genuinely sorrowful tears for sin. Obviously, they were not to merely go about their priestly business. That was the danger, and that's the danger of the clergy in America today, that we can just merrily go about our business as pastors and not really have sorrow for our own sin and sorrow for the people's sin. That isn't what God is honored by. You can't talk boldly to God's people from God's word if you don't pray boldly for his people before you try to talk to them from God's word. And so the priests were to weep as they approached God for the people. And number eight, the last thing God told the priests was that they should mediate between God and his people via intercessory prayer. And that intercessory prayer was to be based squarely on the covenants God struck with the people. Verses 17b and 18. Let's pick up the first part of 17. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare your people, O God. That's an intercessory prayer. Spare your people, O God, and do not make your inheritance a reproach. In other words, they were to pray, Lord, you've entered in a covenantal relationship with your people, and even though they're off the tracks and off the rails due to sin, don't write them off. Don't zap them. Because all the surrounding Gentile nations know that the Jews are a special people, chosen of God. And if you zap them, Lord... They will become a reproach. And if they become a reproach, Lord, your name and reputation will be reproached. That's a good prayer. 
Essentially, they were to pray to God, spare your people and do not make your inheritance a reproach. Do not make your inheritance a byword among the nations. Why should they, that is the idol-worshiping people, say, where is their God? And so the priests' prayers for God's mercy for Israel were to be based on God's reputation. We should do the same. We should pray scripture wherever we can, and we should have at the heart of the driving force of our prayer that God's name would be glorified in our church, that God's name would be glorified in our marriages, that God's name would be glorified in our culture, that God's name would be glorified in the church of Jesus Christ worldwide. And so it may seem strange to some who don't see much of a role for leadership in the church nowadays. They just think everybody should have their say and seminary is not that important, and ordination certainly is not that important. Strange as it may seem, the Lord back then wanted his priests to lead his people. Really, it isn't strange that God would want leaders to lead, right? It really isn't strange that God would want spiritual leaders to spiritually lead. The Lord wanted his people to experience spiritual recovery because he hadn't written them off. He was, is compassionate, gracious, verse 13, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. The Hebrew word is hesed, loyal, faithful love. God had not written the people of Judah off. He'd spanked them with locusts and drought and fire, but he hadn't written them off. And he was more than willing to forgive them and to redeploy them in the doing of his will to shine his character to the nations of the Gentiles. And he was more than willing to use them, again, for his glory if they'd repent. 15 to 17, blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants, let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber, let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, where is their God? And so again, it's really quite simple and quite obvious that true leaders are to lead. People are to follow them. By the way, if we think we're leaders and nobody's following us, we're deluded. To be a leader means somebody's following you. And we are leaders, whether we're in a pulpit or whether we're in a family or whether we're in a school or whether we're a neighbor or whether we're a voter, we're leaders. And when true spiritual leaders lead according to God's word and with authenticity and a burning spiritual health, the people who are to follow that kind of a spiritual leader wind up where the Lord wants them to wind up. So this is how verses 12 and 13 fit with verses 15 to 17. God starts with his injunctions and commands for the average Jew. He finishes with his commands for the Jewish priesthood. And when the priesthood falls in line according to God's prescribed measures for repentance for them, then they will lead spiritually to where God wants the nation to go. It fits together hand in glove. And just to review, the people were were to return to the Lord with their whole hearts, and they were to return to him with a higher priority on inner repentance than on outward signs of repentance. They were to have ripped hearts instead of ripped clothes, if the choice had to be made between the two. And then after the people were to respond to the Lord with 
those things, the priests were to lead the people to, and to return by their hearts to the Lord. Specifically, the priests were to assemble the people. They were to organize a national fast. They were to structure the assembly of the people. They were to focus on the assembled people's spiritual needs. They were to assemble the lay leaders, also called the elders. They were to not excuse anyone from the assembly, from the very newly married to the youngest nursing infant. They were to have sorrow themselves moving through the prescribed sin offerings in the temple. And they were to mediate between God and his nation by offering up intercessory prayers which were totally based on God's covenants with his people. That's the message of verses 15 to 17 in the context of verses 12 and 13. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to continue on talking about Jesus in tough times. And as we've already been talking about, we know that each of us are going to go through tough times. The question for us is, where do we turn when we go through these tough times? You know, we talked about last week to have faith is to really go through t- the tough times. Yet even when we're learning to place more faith in God, we need to be strong or have an attitude that I can do this. And today we want to talk about where do we turn for comfort? Where do we turn to feel that somebody cares about us? The reality is for a lot of us, we will turn to people who are with us, either family members or people we trust. But we need not to forget where we need to turn, that is Jesus Christ. As we consider this and we, we think about different people, one person I want us to think about is Bethany Hamilton. Many people may know her, but she is a girl, professional surfer, and as she was surfing one day training, a shark came and ate her arm. And now she has one arm. And this is what Bethany Hamilton, how she responded. And she said this, When people ask me what my faith in Christ means to me, I usually just answer in one word, everything. This was true before the shark attack as well as after. And I truly believe that this faith is a part of what did get me through it. It helps to know that even when you don't have a clue why something has happened in your life, someone up there who is God has a master plan and is watching over you. It's a tremendous relief to be able to put your trust in God and take the burden off your shoulders. You see, in this particular story, as we consider this, here it is, Bethany Hamilton, a person who could have easily, it could have turned her away from God and thinking, well, why would God allow this to happen? But as we know in her particular life, we know that she has, um, you know, succeeded in what she's doing. She's had movies and books and wherever she appears, she always talks about her relationship with God. So the question again for us this morning is, what, where do you find comfort? Where do you go for comfort in tough times? When we consider God's word and we consider what it's happening, and, and we consider it as if we think of John chapter 14. Jesus is telling his disciples, look, I am getting ready to leave you. I am going. And he starts off even verse 1 and said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You see, he was basically telling them, look, I am getting ready to leave. I am going. I'm going to face the cross. You know, there's going to be a time that way I'm not going to be around. And let's be honest, as a disciple, as you consider their life, as they walk with Jesus, they saw the miracles, they saw what he could do, and in their mind, they're wondering, how are we going to survive without you? You've done so much for us, and you continue to do so much for us. I think for us in our lives, we need to understand this as well, that Christ, when he left, and even in this passage, and we see, he said, look, it's better for me to go. 
because I'm going to send someone to help you. You see, we need to understand as we consider this morning, as J.D. Greer says in many of his books, it's better for me to have the Holy Spirit inside of me than having Jesus beside me. You see, we need to understand as we consider the deity of Jesus, he was a human being. He could only be in one place at a time. But as we consider the Holy Spirit as a, as a born-again believer living in us, the Holy Spirit is always there. He's always with us. He's there with us all the time. And we can call on Him, and, and He knows our struggles. But yet so many times we try to do it on our own. And in John chapter 14, verse 25, 27, it says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. So Jesus wanted to make very clear, Look, look, I'm not going to just leave you. And, and, and then I'm going to send you a letter or something and say, oh, this is what you do. No, no. I am with you right now. I am still here. You see, I think too many times, even in our culture today, and we consider when we honor people, we sometimes don't honor them when they're still alive. We forget about that. And then when they die, then we want to honor them. But wouldn't it be better to tell someone about what they're doing and, and the great things they've done while they're still on the earth? Because as you consider, when you honor them when, they're, when they pass away, Yes, the honor is good for the family, but for that individual, the encouragement that that brings to them, they don't feel that. They don't know about it. But this is what Jesus is saying. Look, I have spoken to you while I am still with you. He wants to make it very clear that, look, I am here with you. Just listen to me. And verse 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Again, we need to understand as one of the names for the Holy Spirit is Helper. He is there to help us. He is there to guide us. He is there to direct us. He's there to, you know, do so many things in our lives. And again, as I said, it's so great to have the Holy Spirit living in you because we need that help. We need to know how to pray for people. We need to know how to, you know, when we look in the scriptures, how to read it and understand it. The Holy Spirit does so much. But yet I think sometimes we get lost. Sometimes we think that there's no one with us because the reality is we cannot see the Holy Spirit. But I know in my own personal life, if the Holy Spirit wasn't living in me and I didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of me, I would be in trouble because the Holy Spirit guides me every day of my life. It convicts me when, I'm, when I do roots wrong. It helps me to study God's Word. It helps me to go through trials and tribulations. The Holy Spirit is there to help us. And we need to understand that because... What we can look at, and we look in our culture, and sometimes, you know, we can be a helper. But sometimes, even in our cases, when, when someone needs our help, we are more of a hindrance. We're not helping them. We're actually getting more in the way. You know, for me, I remember during one of the hurricanes, I was living on a different island. And I remember a part of the roof came off during the storm. And the, the eye was coming upon us and we, and we thought, okay, we're going get to get out of the house now and try to do something on top of the house so that we don't have to face, you know, the storm coming down. And, and this is the calm of the storm. So let's try to see what we could do to try to at least batten up the, the roof. Well, the reality is that I'm scared of heights. And so I went on the roof to try to help. But the reality was I was no help. I was more of a hindrance because I was too afraid to be on the roof. I was too afraid to you know, help them because I was scared of falling off the roof. You see, we need to understand that as we, again, can be the hindrance, the Holy Spirit is never a hindrance. The Holy Spirit always helps us through the trials that we go through. The Holy Spirit is always with us. Even in verse 27, as, as we close this part, it says this, Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, as we consider peace, you know, we go through troubles. We go through these different problems in life, and, you know, we, we don't know where to turn. But it's very clear that we need to turn to God. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. And we need to find that peace in the Holy Spirit and what God's plan is. You see, you may be, as a young person, be, may be in trouble now. And you may be thinking, some of you may be graduating and, or whatever it is. You may be thinking, what is my future? What can I do? Where do I turn? Where, where, what do I do? What's going to be my future for life? Well, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you find that peace and joy in what you want to do with the rest of your life. Because I think too many times we turn everywhere else, but we don't turn to the source of, of, of the plan, the one who's in control of all things. We're going to pick up next time as we, you know, look at again how the Holy Spirit can help us through our different trials and tribulations. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, good morning. I'm in the radio studio with Lorraine Green. Hi, Lorraine. Good morning, Pastor. Lorraine serves as the Senior Director for Global Ministry in the Sub-Saharan Africa with Team Mission. Mm -hmm. And she's been with us uh, here at our World Missions Conference with great blessing and encouragement to our people. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Pastor. It's a joy to be here in the Bahamas with you all. (laughs) Wonderful. I was hoping you could share with our listeners, Lorraine, a bit of your own um, story, your testimony of how you've seen God work in your life. Well, I had the great privilege and blessing to be born into a Christian family. And uh, my father was involved in church leadership and my mother, too, in ministry. She hosted a good news club when I was young. And so after I was seven years old, after a good news club meeting, uh, that I received Jesus Christ as my personal savior, deep sense of conviction And after I prayed, there was just an overwhelming sense of joy. Praise the Lord. So I never doubted that salvation experience. Even though I was young, I knew that what had happened that evening was real. Then what happened after you uh, trusted the Lord? What happened? Well, when I was in high school, of course, considering um, what the Lord would have for me next, it, it was one of those God moments. I came home from high school not knowing what to do after there's a lot of pressure to decide what to do after high school and I just was confused about it all and I came home sitting at the table and the Lord just spoke to me suddenly very clearly in my heart that I should go to Bible school in a particular one out in western Canada mm-hmm. and uh, and that conviction grew over the next year and a half or so after I finished high school so when I was uh, just 18 years old Um, I went off to Bible College in Western Canada, Prairie Bible Institute, intending just to study for a year. I thought if I'm going to be a Christian for the rest of my life, I might as well prepare for it. What a good attitude. But within the first six weeks of being there, um, I so enjoyed my Bible studies. Um, We were in the book of Genesis, by then in chapter 12, teacher was talking about... um, how God spoke to Abraham and in chapter 12 it it says very clearly to Abraham Abraham in you all the nations or all the families of the earth shall be blessed yes and i re- realized that those promises 
made given to Abraham so long ago were as relevant today as they were then. Mm-hmm. By faith, God has, is calling all of us to be a blessing to our own generation. Yes. And so with that, I've uh, made myself available. Lord, you guide my steps. I'll just keep going forward. If, it's, if I'm going wrong, close the door. I'm just going to have to step out in faith. When you look at the call of God on your life, it's best seen by looking back. That's true. But at the moment, it is an exercise of faith. Mm -hmm. But you can be sure that if you have oriented your heart towards righteousness, there's a certain confidence that you can hold on to that he will guide you. And it's actually harder to fall out of the will of God than you think. He is faithful to his promises, and he will get you where he wants you to go. That's right. So young, you sense God's call into world missions. Right. And uh, I believe you also have told me that uh, you also were aware that maybe you had a need for more seasoning uh, before you would go to another country. And perhaps you could talk about that. By the time I had finished my four years of Bible college, um, I sensed that I would be going overseas. I had joined a team, the Evangelical Alliance Mission, but I was barely 22 years old, so feeling uh, that I needed some experience. The Committee for Child Evangelism Fellowship in my home area, which is Duluth, Minnesota, northern Minnesota, they asked if I would come for an interview, and I agreed to work with Child Evangelism Fellowship for two years. Yes. And it was the greatest um, experience for me because I um, had experienced teaching Bible, leading people, children in particular, to Christ, training teachers to do the same. I had to answer to a board of directors, write prayer letters. I did deputation every Sunday night, every Wednesday night for two years straight. I visited with pastors in their offices, and uh, and it was just a great training for me, and uh, I enjoyed those years. It took the ministry from zero to a very uh, productive, fruitful ministry, going full tilt two years later. But my sights were set by then for, for Africa, and uh, so I um, uh, finished my work with them went on to uh, Moody Bible Institute for just a semester to study linguistics and phonetics in preparation for language learning. And then I left for France in September of 1980. I was in France for two years to study French, of course, in preparation to going to Chad, which was a former French colony. Mm -hmm. So government and education is all conducted in French. So I finished uh, my two years of studies there, required at that time, and then I uh, landed in Chad in 1982 and started all over on another language, uh, the Ngumbai language, and I worked uh, as a Bible teacher among women for 15 years in Ngumbai. Then uh, again, sensing God's leading, I moved 100 kilometers north in about 1997 and started all over on another language. Mm-hmm. Nanjare, and I again did 15 years in Nanjare land teaching the Bible to women and training national co-workers to take my place. And uh, the two in Ngambai land and the two in Nanjare land are still teaching to this day. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. So it was 30 years in Chad. 
That is such a wonderful story of a young believer who wanted to know the Word of God and in so doing heard the call of God and then in obedience uh, trained and persevered in uh, school that I'm sure was rigorous to understand languages and then God in His faithfulness kept you uh, at the task with two acquired languages over 30 years. Mm -hmm. What a wonderful Lord and Savior we have. Let me just uh, thank you so much, Lorraine, for sharing a bit, and, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to understand that our lives are best read backwards, that we can uh, understand your will, having looked back upon our redeemed lives. And Lord, I thank you for the other thing that my sister Lorraine said, that when we orient our lives toward righteousness, we will find your will and it will be hard to be uh, displaced from your will as we continue to orient our lives toward righteousness. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. Continue to bless and to use Sister Lorraine in uh, her ministry in South Africa now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Lanier's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11, give rise to the question, what options are available to the person who is divorced? Jesus taught that marriage is designed by God to be a permanent relationship. See Matthew 19, verse 6. Here Paul appeals to the authoritative command of Jesus, in quotes, not I, but the Lord, end quote, that marriages not be violated by divorce. The wife should not leave her husband, and the husband should not send his wife away. Paul, a first century apostle and student of the teachings of Jesus, clearly understood that Jesus upheld the permanence of marriage. But Paul recognized that in a sinful world, divorce would occur. What are the options available for a person who suffers the tragedy of a divorce? Paul presents two options for the divorced person. The first option is to remain unmarried, the present tense of the verb remain, or meno, indicates that this is to be an ongoing permanent state. The second option is to be reconciled to one's spouse. The aorist tense of the verb reconciled, katalasso, emphasizes the attainment of the reconciliation process. Paul does not consider any other options because neither did Jesus. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, 
a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.